Thank you. If you would take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. just want to remind you as a follow-up to that song we just heard in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. You can just glance down at it. It's that great truth that if anyone is in Christ, if anyone uh, has surrendered their life to Christ, they're a new creation. Everything's become new. And I hope that's been your experience. And if it hasn't, that it won't be long before it is your experience. To know Jesus and the chains that come off and to be free in Christ, to live for Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the message of that song. Lord, it's the Gospel. It's being willing to repent, to come before You in confession, and seek forgiveness for those sins that have us in chains, that have built strongholds in our lives. And to trust our lives with you. To surrender to you. And we just praise you for the forgiveness that there is in Jesus. Through his death and resurrection. Thank you that you do have the power to change lives. And to give us not only eternal life. But life abundant as it was intended. To be experienced here. Guide us as we go into your word. Speak to us. We pray that. What we see today would be something that many need to hear and need to respond to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now we go to chapter 10. We've come to uh, chapter 10 of Second Corinthians in our series as we go through this letter. Last week we talked about the joy of repentance in chapter 7. And then we gathered in the evening and went through chapters 8 and 9 on giving. Today we come to 10. In chapter 7, we saw uh, the Apostle Paul, after a year of really working hard to convince the Corinthian church to put aside their prideful tolerance, their pride in their so-called tolerance, concerning this sin that was going on, uh, this man's sexual immorality in their church. And he spent a year trying to get the church to address that sin and to deal with their prideful tolerance. And uh, there were letters, multiple letters. Uh, there was a painful visit that he made that was really difficult. But finally in chapter 7, we see him hearing word that God has finally worked after a year and that man has repented of his sin and the church has repented of their pride. And uh, Paul talks about his joy in hearing about that. He talks about how encouraged he is to see that God had finally broken through and brought them to repentance. He talks about his gratitude for those people in that church finally coming to the place of repentance. So chapter 7 was a very uh, positive chapter. 
as Paul shares that joy. This issue had been resolved after so long, but all is not well in the Corinthian church. Just that one issue was resolved. But there's still another issue that continues. And it's the issue of all these criticisms and false accusations against Paul as an individual, as a minister of the gospel. There are false teachers out there who are telling people untruth about Paul, that he doesn't deserve to be an apostle, that he isn't credible, that his motives are wrong, that he just exploits people, that he's in the ministry for his own benefit. And all these accusations and criticisms. Uh, as we get into chapter 11 next week, we're going to find Paul calling these people false apostles, deceitful workers, servants of Satan, masqueraders. And uh, even in chapter 11, he kind of facetiously calls them super apostles because they think they're so great, superior to Paul. That's still going on. And he continues to hear about these accusations and these criticisms. But the thing that really makes him sad is that there are some people in the Corinthian church, some of those Christians that are being influenced by those false teachers. And they are actually grabbing on to those accusations and criticisms and believing it about Paul. And that's what really hurts him. And so that situation continues. It's a difficult one. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end over a lengthy period of time of criticism, false accusations against you, and that no matter what you do, they don't disappear. And you start hearing them from all directions because people are being influenced as they hear those criticisms. And hear those accusations. I remember back in uh, the middle 90s. Some of you remember the middle 90s. Some don't. But uh, I found myself on the receiving end of a lot of criticism and false accusations that were being spread. And I remember that no matter what I tried to do, as time went on, it just kept going. And one nice, warm May afternoon, I was sitting in my office thinking through this and praying about this, and I realized that this had been going on so long, and these false accusations and criticisms were being given out so long that I actually found myself in my mind thinking, <clears throat> what if they're really true? You know, you keep hearing something enough, <clears throat> even if you thought they weren't true, you believed they were false, you start having these thoughts like, what if they're true? What if I'm just so stubborn 
I'm not acknowledging it. Maybe these things are accurate about me. Well, I, I felt so uncomfortable having those thoughts that I got up and I went home. And I asked Janine to go for a walk. And you remember that walk. We walked down the road. And I shared these thoughts now that were coming into my mind like maybe they're true. And uh, God used her, like he does a lot, to reassure me that the accusations were false, that the criticism was unwarranted. And, and she was able, with God's help, to reaffirm to me the truth. And I was able to send those thoughts away. And they didn't continue in my mind and keep building, you know, how thoughts do. So in a way, I can recognize what Paul was going through. And uh, I was thinking this week, I wonder if Paul ever had moments like that. I wonder if he ever had moments where he actually had those thoughts come into his mind too. Could these criticisms be true? Could their accusations be true? Am I just not seeing it? Am I just so stubborn that I'm not acknowledging the truth about me and my ministry? I don't know. It sounds like he did not have those thoughts, but we don't know everything that went on in Paul's mind uh, during that lengthy time. So when we come to chapter 10, which we're going to look at today, Paul is dealing with these criticisms and these accusations. And we're going to take a look at this. Uh, he's going to start out by making a plea. He's going to appeal to the Corinthians about this. Then he's going to talk about a battle that he's facing concerning the criticisms and the accusations. He's going to acknowledge that it's a battle. And then he's going to do what I think he really felt uncomfortable doing, but he's going to make a defense. He's going to defend himself. So let's look at that. Starting in the first two verses. Chapter 10, he says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. See, Paul wanted to handle this in a Christ-like way. I'm sure, because I remember what it was like, everything in you wants to fight. Everything in you wants to go after the people who are criticizing and accusing and so Paul starts his appeal by saying, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I want to I say this in a Christ-like way. So he says, I appeal to you. I, Paul, and then he brings up what some of the criticisms are. I, Paul, who am timid when face-to-face -face with you, but bold when away. That was one of the accusations. You know, that Paul, he's two-faced. You know, when he's not with you and he's writing letters, he's really bold and firm. But when he comes, he's a wimp. You know, he changes. And so he introduces himself that way. He says, I appeal to you, I, Paul, 
whom timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, like they say. Verse 2, he says, I beg you. He's appealing to the Corinthians. He's begging them. He says, I beg you that when I come, when I come to you the next time, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. So there were some people in the Corinthian church who were being influenced by these false teachers who were also criticizing Paul now and accusing him. And he says, I appeal to you, I beg of you, that when I come the next time, it's not another painful visit like the last time. I just beg of you that those people, that those few in the church would change their mind about me before I get there. So we don't have to deal with that. So that's his appeal. Then he moves on to talk about the battle that he's facing in this, the personal battle. And that's in verses 3 to 6. So let me read that and then comment. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So what's he talking about there? Did you notice um, all the terms he uses that point to a battle? There's words like war. Weapons, fight, demolish, strongholds, taking captives. In that one little passage, we have all these terms that go along with a battle. And Paul is saying, I'm experiencing a battle. What's the battlefield? Where's this battle taking place? Well, if you really think through the passage, it's in the mind, isn't it? He's talking about thinking. He's talking about um, pretension. He's talking about arguments and speculations and opinions, depending on what translation you have. So he's talking about a battle that goes on in the mind concerning thoughts. And, And isn't that the most typical place where our battles take place? In our minds. That's where the battle takes place. And what's the enemy? Well, the enemy has to do with thoughts. It has to do with speculations. It has to do with, what does he say, arguments that are contrary to the knowledge of God. In other words, the enemy is untruth. The enemy is these untruth thoughts, false thinking that comes into the mind. And they're planted there by people's arguments, their speculations, their pretensions. A pretension is a lofty opinion. 
you know, where people kind of uh, place themselves in a position where they think they're superior because they've got all these opinions. It's not based on anything, but they spew those opinions and speculations. And it's always against the knowledge of God. It's against truth. It doesn't square with truth. It's untruth. And yet the voices all around us, and in this case, the false teachers with their accusations and their criticisms, and a few in Corinth who are falling for those accusations, they're the voices that Paul keeps hearing and hearing about. And so the battle goes on in his mind. All these false things thinkings versus the truth. And we all experience that, right? Paul's not the only guy who experienced this battle. This battle of thoughts, of thinking. Truth versus untruth. That's the battle. And he's having to deal with that. But he says, I have weapons. I have weapons that I can use to fight this battle. And he says, the weapons I have at my disposal have divine power. They're from God. What do you think his weapons are? I think it's thoughts. But it's thoughts that are true. It's the truth. It's God's truth. See, all these other thoughts are raised up against the knowledge of God. God's truth. But he says, I have weapons, I have God's truth, divinely powerful to demolish, and notice the word, strongholds. What's a stronghold? Well, uh, it can be translated there, fortress. You know, think about a fortress, a stronghold. And he talks about these strongholds that in this battle are built up with false thinking, with with untruth. And he says, he demolishes these strongholds, tears them down with the weapon of truth, the knowledge of God's truth. The best way to define a stronghold, it's something that has a strong hold on you. It's, it's thinking that's not true. Thinking that is against the truth of God. But it comes into your mind and you allow it to stay. And you think on it and meditate on it and mull it over. And you keep listening to the voices that are bringing into your mind the untruth. And pretty soon it starts putting together block by block this fortress in your mind. This stronghold. And pretty soon that untruth has a strong hold on you. And Paul says, in his mind, he has to fight that with the divine weapon of truth. And so he says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You see that? That's how we tear down these strongholds. We take every thought captive. Whenever a truth comes into our mind that is not true, we, we think it through, we evaluate it, it's not true, it doesn't fit with God's truth, we take it captive. 
and we make it obedient to Christ. Way back when uh, our oldest son, Lon, was probably four, five years old, we were at Deeper Life Bible Camp. I was speaking, and one night we were in our cabin before bed, and we were reading to the kids or praying or whatever we were doing, but um, this was a verse that we we read, and after I read it, I, I said to Lon, of course, he's four or five years old then, uh, I said, what do you think that means, Lon? We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And Lon, as a four or five-year-old, he says, I think it means that whenever a bad thought comes into your mind, you say, gotcha, gotcha, and send it away. That's, that's a pretty good explanation of it. Whenever that thought comes into your mind that you know is not true, according to the truth of God, you say, gotcha. You take it captive, and you send it away, and you make it obedient to Christ. And we have to learn. Paul learned how to do this over and over again. Think how often he had to do that with all these accusations and criticisms. All these arguments and pretensions and speculations and lofty opinions. He had to weigh them with the knowledge of God, the truth of God. And if they were not true, he took them captive, sent them away and made them obedient to Christ. That's how Paul fought this battle in his mind concerning all this falsehood that was around him. Then he moves into what I said earlier, probably was uncomfortable for him. And that is to actually defend himself. And so very quickly, let me take you through 7 to 18 and see some of the things he says in defense of himself. Verse 7. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ... He should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. In other words, Paul says, I am Christ's servant. I belong to Christ just as much as those people who claim I don't. I am Christ's servant. I am his apostle. I do belong to him. Contrary to what's being said. So that's his first defense. Verse 8. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Paul says in his defense, I have been given by God authority. And I'm not ashamed to say it. God has given me authority as an apostle, despite what those people say. And what I think is interesting is he says it's an authority to build you up, not tear you down. Anybody here in this audience who finds yourself in a leadership position, some kind of leadership position that has with it some kind of authority, true authority is not given to you to tear people down. It's given to you to build them up. That is true authority. And Paul says in his defense, God gave me authority as an apostle. 
no matter what they say. And it's an authority to build you up, not tear you down. The third thing he says in his defense, verses 9 to 11. 9 to 11. He says, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you <clears throat> with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. So his third defense is, I am the same person, absent or present. Don't believe them. I am the same person no matter where I am. I'm not different when I'm with you from when I'm absent and writing letters. I'm the same person. No matter what they say. His next statement of defense is in verse 12. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's a foolish thing to do, to be comparing yourself with other people, competition, comparing yourself, measuring yourself by other people so that you can commend yourself. What's, what's commending self? Well, it's tooting your own horn. It's bragging about yourself. And Paul says, I don't do that. I don't do that. That's foolish. I'm not like those guys. I'm not out there measuring myself by them, comparing myself to them to make myself look good. I don't do that. Starting in verse 13, another defense. Verses 13 and 14. He says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Well, what's he saying there? He says, I do not go beyond my sphere of ministry. I do not go beyond the sphere of ministry that God has called me to. I go where God sends me. I go to the people God wants me to go to. And he adds, that's why I went to you. You were part of the sphere of ministry <clears throat> that God gave to me. And I came to you. But I don't go beyond going where God sends me. And then the last defense goes along with that, starting in verse 15. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's authority territory but let him who boasts boast in the lord for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved but the one whom the lord 
commends. His final statement of defense here is we don't boast about the accomplishments of other people. We don't take credit for things that other people have done. We don't do that. We focus on the ministry God has given us and how he's used us. We don't go boasting and taking credit for things other people have done. Apparently, that was one of the accusations. And then he concludes with, we don't commend ourselves. We don't toot our own horn. We don't set ourselves up in front of other people and brag about our ministry. And he finishes with, the only commendation we care about is the one we will get from the Lord. And I think he's meaning that well done, good and faithful servant someday. We're not going to take credit for other people's work. We're not going to go beyond the limits of what God wants us to do and where he sends us. We're not going to commend ourselves. We're not going to make ourselves look good because we're comparing ourselves with other people, measuring ourselves by them. We're going to be the same people, absent, present, same people. I'm sure he's uncomfortable having to say this, but it's like he felt he needed to go through this defense. And so that's Paul. Um, That's the intent of this passage. Paul sharing with them, first pleading, pleading and begging them that they'll change their thinking about him so when he comes, it's not another painful visit. Admitting there's a battle going on in his mind and how he's tearing down strongholds of false thought by taking thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ, and then actually defending himself concerning some of the accusations. So that's Paul. I think the best application for us here in this passage is to go back to the battle. To go back to the battle that he talks about in verses 3 to 6. Because like I said earlier, we all can identify with that battle. The battle that goes on in our minds every day. The battle of thinking. The battle of truth versus untruth. And we all know that there are voices all around us. Whether we're hearing them or reading them or whatever it is, there are all kinds of voices. And many of them are untrue. Many of them are false. They set themselves up against the knowledge of God, the truth of God. And their arguments and their speculations and their lofty opinions, but they're not true. And the danger for we as Christians is that we allow that thinking, that false thinking, to come into our minds and stay there. And then we keep hearing those things and it builds until that false thinking is a stronghold. And it has a strong hold on our minds and our thinking, which eventually then affects our living. Because our living starts here. So, 
some questions for you as we wrap it up on the bottom of your sheet. Is there a battle going on in your mind? Would you have to say that right now there's a real tough battle going on in your mind? Um, what's the battle? Um, what untruths are you battling against? <laughs> there's a variety. It could be untruth about God. Maybe you're hearing things about God. Maybe you're letting certain thoughts come into your mind about God. Like maybe he's not a good, good father. Maybe he's not good like I always thought because this is happening and this is happening and I prayed this and it didn't get answered and, you know, whatever it is. But you're letting things come into your mind, thoughts about God that aren't true. But you keep mulling them over. You keep thinking them through. And they're starting to build a stronghold in your mind. And those thoughts about God that are not true are beginning to have a strong hold on you. And they're affecting you in the way you live. Maybe it's untruth about yourself. Maybe you're hearing things or thoughts are being put in your mind about you that are just not true. They're not true. That you're worthless. Nobody loves you. Why would they love you? I don't belong. Nobody wants me. They put all my things in a trash bag. Those things aren't true. But you keep letting them come in, and they start to build. And pretty soon, there's a stronghold. And thoughts about yourself that aren't true have a strong hold on your mind. And they are starting to affect how you live. Maybe it's thoughts about relationships. Maybe it has to do with bitterness. Maybe it has to do with unforgiveness. Maybe it has to do with jealousy. Maybe it has to do with whatever goes along with relationships. And you're letting those things that are against the knowledge of God, bitterness, unforgiveness, revenge, hatred, that's not part of the truth of God. But you're letting thoughts like that come into your mind, and pretty soon they begin block by block to build this stronghold in your thinking. And that thinking now has a strong hold on you and begins to affect how you're living. And we could go on and on and on. Probably didn't even mention the battle that's going on in your mind and the stronghold that's being built. But is there a battle going on in your mind right now with false thinking that you have allowed to come in and stay in your mind and begin to build this stronghold? Third question, have these untruths built a stronghold? Has that happened? Number four, are you willing to do what my son Lon said as a four- and five-year-old? He understood it. Are you willing to take every untrue thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? Are you willing to get involved in the battle? Are you willing to fight the untruth? I'm not talking about untruth out there. I'm talking about untruth here. Very difficult to stop the voices around us that are you know, presenting untruth to our minds. Are you willing to fight it here? 
Are you willing to take those thoughts captive? Say, gotcha. That's not true. That's not what God says. Send it away. Make it obedient to Christ. Are you willing to do that? It's not going to happen automatically. You've got to fight that battle in your mind and start tearing down those strongholds with truth, the truth of God. And finally, what will it take to make God and his truth the stronghold in your life? You see, God wants to be the stronghold in your life. God wants to be the stronghold in your mind. He wants the strong hold of you and of your thinking, which then will affect how you live. How do I know? Turn to the Psalms. Psalm 27. Strongholds aren't bad. You just need the right one. And the right stronghold is God himself and his truth. Psalm 27. Here's what the psalmist says. You might want to put this up in your home somewhere. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Put it on your phone as you're um, some kind of... I don't know how to do the phone, so I bet you can figure it out so that that message keeps coming. Uh, Maybe you can even put it on as an alarm in the morning, right? I don't know. Um, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He wants to be the stronghold. He wants to be what has the stronghold of your thinking. Him and his truth, not all the falsehood around us, the false thinking. And then Psalm 37, so they're easy to remember, 27 and 37, verse 39, 37 and 39. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. Put that up somewhere. He is is your stronghold in time of trouble. It's not enough to do battle against the false thinking that comes into our minds and creates a stronghold. It's not enough to take those thoughts captive, tear down the strongholds of false thinking, send them away, make them obedient to Christ. There's another step. You need to replace those strongholds of untruth with God and his truth. Let him be the stronghold of your life. And ask him to show you the different ways you can go about building that stronghold. And a lot of you have been around long enough, you know what those ways are to get the truth of God into your mind. And those be the building blocks that start to build this stronghold in your thinking that have a strong hold on you and begin to affect your life 
and will start to make you get better and better at taking thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. You can develop that skill of using truth to take untruth captive and turn it around and make it obedient to Jesus. Paul faced this battle. He's admitting it here. He's admitting it. He was facing that battle with all this accusation and criticism. But he fought it with divinely powerful truth, the truth of God. So if you would stand with me, we're going to close in prayer. And before I pray, let me just ask, is it possible that there are people here who would have to admit they have allowed false thinking to build a stronghold in their mind that has a stronghold of you? And you want to be like Paul. You want to learn how to battle that false thinking. Tear down those strongholds and make God your stronghold. Could it be someone here is in that situation? (laughs) Raise your hand if you are and you'd like prayer. Amen. If nobody had raised their hand, I would call you liars. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that you were willing to have him record difficulties that he went through. Father, thank you that he tried so hard to be like Jesus in handling these criticisms and these accusations. Help us, Lord, to have the same desire that we would address these things in a way that Jesus would. Father, thank you for his honesty in saying there's a battle in his mind. Father, I pray that as we do battle in our minds with untruth, for those who raise their hand, whatever those untruths are that are becoming strongholds, taking hold of them, Father, I pray that from this day on, you would give them the power to take those thoughts captive to send them away and make them obedient to Jesus and help them to learn how to replace that thinking with your truth. And, Lord, may you become the stronghold in their life from this day forward. Amen.